Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So I had to wake up the crack of stupid this morning, like normal, and had to get bundled up, get Mika bundled up, get her fed, get Hank all dressed up to walk her to school. It was colder than all hell this morning. It was raining on me. And the stupid thoughts that pop into your head uh, when you are cold, wet, freezing, it's like not even eight in the morning yet, is I could have used all of the heat in Breslau that Jonathan Bergeron is currently bringing in Sweden. <laughs> that was a long setup, Brad. I'm not going to lie. I'm not sure the payoff was worth it. No, it was a terrible dad joke, but you said I needed to stall for time. So I, I really tried to give you the time there, Ryan. I wanted to make a Jonathan Bergeron heater joke. And instead of having to make it in like four seconds, like I normally would, I tried to draw it out into about half a minute. <laughs> Um, the reason I had Brad open and uh, maybe carry, I don't know if you guys can hear that drilling in the background. I know. Oh, that's good. Um, there's uh, ever never ending home renos. Um, I do a podcast in this house. Mel renovates this house, which is much more useful. And so she was like, we have to like, this is our only night to do drywall in this room. Like we really have to do it. I could do this. I could do that. I was like, no, I can make the podcast worse work around it. So I am currently in her office. So for those of you who are watching on YouTube, that's why it looks like a little bit of a different background. I'm joined by that's a poster of Daniel Radcliffe in how to succeed. I think it's a Broadway show. Um, and if I sound different, I promise you that's only for an episode, but uh, for now, welcome to the Winged wheel podcast. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm going to have to talk a lot this episode. I'm going to also have to talk a lot this episode, but I will try my best not to. <laughs> that is the closest ever Evan has ever been to his mic. Yep. <laughs> so uh, Evan has to because it's a big moment and he needs to amplify because that's the most self-aware he's ever been. Yes. So this, uh, this episode of the Wind Wheel podcast is our first quiet episode in terms of news and i'd say quite a long time um there haven't been any signings since last episode which is a huge change of pace um a little appreciative of that honestly from a a uh, steve eisman standpoint i'm uh i'm a little burnt out right now yeah there's a lot yeah. of information over the past week and a bit but uh, that doesn't mean we don't have plenty to come at you with. There's uh, stuff that we weren't able to cover in last uh, mega episode. We've had like three mega episodes in a row with the pre-draft show, the post-draft show, and then the free agent friends, free agency frenzy show. So if you guys haven't listened to those, um, those are evergreen or eh, well, for the next little while at least, which defeats the purpose of the word. Do you guys hear that? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Loud. Yeah. It, it sounds like, like you're breathing a real door or something. Yeah, uh, this house is old enough where it must be haunted. Uh, no, there's a, there's enough to go back to in those episodes to listen, but there's um, quite a bit to come even now. And to fill in the air for this episode, we have brought back none other than Will Scouch of Scouching. So um, quite a bit of uh, good conversation with Will that uh, we're always happy to bring up. Uh, but for the time being, let's talk Red Wings. And we're going to start off with the Red Wings overseas. Brad, take it away. So... 
it appears as though Jonathan Bergren has healed and he has healed uh, very well. So as of recording right now, Jonathan Bergren, I believe, sits in a tie for second in SHL scoring, you know, the senior SHL hockey league, which is for grown ass men. And he, a 20 year old coming off two injury riddled seasons has uh, 11 points in eight games so far. And that doesn't even include the ridiculous goal he scored today. That didn't count again in typical burger and fashion. He's doing it primarily via playmaker. He's had a bunch of ridiculous uh, primary assists so far this season. So, uh, not only does he appear to be rounding into form, he's showing us why at the time we thought he should have been a first round pick in 2018. It's took a long time to get here through no fault of his own, just bad luck with a couple injuries, but this is Jonathan Bergeron fully healthy and it's scary. He currently, if he could, how do I word this? He's not going to cape this pace up all season because he's well over a point per game. These are like Elias Pettersson SHL type numbers uh, for U21 players in the SHL. But if he regresses to a point per game, or if you want to get more specific, 0.98 points per game, he will be tied for the second best U21 season in the SHL ever, and the player that he would tie for that distinction behind Elias Pettersson is Henrik Zetterberg. So just a fun little bit of uh, two degrees of separation there. It's not bad company to keep. This is the uh, kind of start to the SHL season that we would have needed to see from Jonathan Berggren for a few reasons. First, um, this is this aligns with his draft stock, right? For those who don't remember, or those maybe who weren't paying attention back then, um, we were almost as excited about Jonathan Berggren as we were about Joe Valeno when he was picked 30th overall. It was 30th, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe a little bit of an exaggeration, but Jonathan Berggren was... Um, that first round talent who slipped out of the first round. Like imagine maybe like a Reichel or Paterka. That's who the Red Wings picked at pick 32. Like that was a, a pretty big favorite. And that wasn't really a guy that people were expecting Detroit to be able to get when they picked him. So um, his draft stock was high. He's not a surprise talent. The guy is always ooze talent. The issue is have been, the issues have been like terrible, terrible injuries that have taken away years of development. Um, it was two, right? Two different injuries, a back injury and then a shoulder. Yes. Was it? Yeah. Uh, and not so, body parts that are very easy to recover from. No, no. And those affect things like shoulder is one thing that affects different players in different ways, of course, depending on their game. But a back injury is, um, well, I mean, if you if you have a hurt shoulder, then you're relegated to only being able to uh, co-host a podcast for the rest of your life. Um, yeah. But if you, you mess up your back... Like, think about it in terms of Red Wings context. That's what took Zetterberg out probably four or five years before he wanted to retire. Um, That's really, really difficult to deal with. And obviously, he's young and he's elastic and and can come back from that kind of thing. But there's so much uncertainty. Uh, Those are bad years to lose in your development. That's why Niederbach's stock uh, dropped so much. And he was a second round pick instead of anything higher. Um, But it's not a death sentence. 
but what we needed to see was what Bergen's doing now. So for him to be able to flash that talent and like you said, Brad, flash it at the highest level in the SHL um, for him over in Sweden, that is a huge, huge step. We're going to start re-injecting Jonathan Bergeron in uh, Red Wing, like future Red Wings lineup conversations. He's fallen off a lot of people's radars for good reason. Uh, but once he jumps back up there, you're not talking about like a fourth line winger. You're talking about a guy where if he makes it, you're looking at possibly a top six guy, power play uh, uh, contributor as well. I, I won't even say this is what we needed to see from Bergeron. I, I think this is well beyond uh, what we needed to see from Bergeron this year. Um, even if it doesn't last, just the fact that he's dominating, literally dominating this good of a league for a stretch of eight games is fantastic. Again, I don't expect him to keep this up all season. I don't expect him to keep up anywhere near this pace this season. But we had uh, in the interview here shortly, we had a conversation with Will about uh, Theodore Niederbach missing an entire season. And how that hindered his development and how basically he was a year behind all his peers. Well, you combine Bergeron's missed time over two years, he missed about a year. So for all intents and purposes, this is his uh, draft plus two year. And um, he he's not only playing well in the SHL, he's literally second in league scoring. He's the play driver on his team. He's controlling pace of play he's crashing the net he's doing everything you would want to see from a small scale forward because uh scott wheeler did a great piece on Bergeron um way back when about how he's so skilled he can control the play without having to really take over the middle of the ice because it's hard for smaller players uh, to control the middle of the ice, to crash the net, to make those plays. But the way the game is played, it's almost impossible to be an NHL uh, top six forward if you're not controlling the middle of the ice or you're not able to control the middle of the ice at different points. Bergeron's doing that now, and that's not something we were expecting. Again, most of his assists are coming from the cycle, from the perimeter, from his vision. Again, I referenced the goal he scored today. He came down his off wing, cut wide on the defenseman, made a great move, and then just said, YOLO, cut in front of the net. Uh, didn't count because apparently you're not even allowed to step foot in the crease in the SHL, but blew through the crease, buried it on the goalie. Uh, it's a goal that in the NHL counts 100 out of 100 times, so I'm not worried that that didn't count today because I don't care what counts in the SHL. I care about NHL rules, and it would have been great. So it, it's great to see that he's adapted his game to do that a little more regularly, and it's almost even better just to see that he's willing to do that because you're coming off two major injuries. Yeah, it, I might be a little gun shy skating into traffic in the crease where there's a good chance I'm going to get buried. So uh, he's doing everything we wanted. If he came into this season and put up, I'll say, 0.5 to 0.75 points per game, I'd be thrilled. I basically would hold him to the same standards this year that I would hold Lucas Raymond to, even though he's two years older, but he was a second round pick. Raymond was a first round pick. So obviously expectations are different and they're different players, but factoring in that he missed a year of development and, and now he's, I don't know, what is it at this point? One point something points per game. It's remarkable. It's, it's well beyond what we should have expected. <laughs> So that that's really good news for the Red Wings, but the the good news for Red Wings overseas has not doesn't stop with Bergeron. Um, 
the highlights haven't stopped coming from Lucas Raymond. And a lot of that was people looking up older highlights now that they were discovering who he was. Uh, but he had that shootout goal the other day and he's continued to display a lot of his game. Um, you know, he hasn't missed a step and it's still pretty early after the draft. Not too much has happened. Uh, but I know there's one highlight or one clip that was floating around where Brad, you took the, the point of saying, Hey, by the way, this, uh, Lucas Raymond move where he, you know, deeks out to, uh, get a, a clear shooting lane in the middle, like right down the slot. That is like prototypical Lucas Raymond move. Um, that stuff is, has been really fun to see in terms of SHL scoring or sorry, in terms of the SHL, uh, uh cider also started today with rogel i believe was their first game or one of the, his first games over there yep that and, was and, uh his first game with rogel this season and uh the the scoring standings see uh red wings recent signee i mean recent depending on how you evaluate time anymore uh, uh matthias brome is near the top of those standings as well which isn't a surprise he was a productive player before but still good showing for red wings in europe yeah, I mean, so Bergen right now is tied for second in league scoring, um, second in assists. And then if you go down in a tie for 10th right now, uh, it's Matthias Brome. And again, the SHL is probably the third best league in the world. And to have two Red Wings inside the top 10 there, it's it's good. And again, it's only a 7-8 game sample size for these guys. But Brome currently is outpacing his last year. And he's at an age where... I didn't really think there'd be growth left in his game because I think he's 24 years old, 25, something in like that, 26, actually. So the fact that he seems to have another giddy up in his step is is a great sign. Even if he's a long shot to make the Red Wings this year, it, it's a good first step. And then, again, if you scroll down, Lucas Raymond is also sitting on the first page, at least, of uh, the SHL leading scores. So, I mean, outside of McIsaac injuring himself, it's... Uh, damn near best case scenario across the board for the Red Wings prospects who have actually been playing. So I'm going to move us along to a uh, topic that we didn't get a chance to discuss because there have been a million pieces of news over the past few episodes. By the way, uh, I want to acknowledge, I know we have a lot of new listeners since the last few episodes this is around the time of year or I mean, it's usually the summer, uh, but usually the time of year where people start to uh, tune into the show. So welcome. If you're a new wing wheel podcast listener, um, so, you know, we don't always record remotely. So if you're watching on YouTube, we're typically in a studio, which we spent all this time, you know, outfitting with Red Wing stuff. And we got a custom table from RD Woodworking and it's, you know, all this gear to do it professionally. And then he <laughs> got kicked out. So um, the goal is to eventually be back in there once the world is done ending. Um, and uh, there, I know there was an audio hitch at the very end of the last episode for 10 minutes. Uh, I blame poltergeists for that. And uh, that'll be my final answer. Uh, but because last episode was so, uh, I'll use the word girthy to get Evan's attention. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't talk about Tyler Johnson. And that was a worthwhile conversation because I actually came in with a pretty uh, different school of thought than you did, Brad. And I think also Evan. So that's probably a debate worth having. And, and I have to uh, eat crow here because I probably deserve to be called stupid. Oh, yeah, that just goes for all three of us at all points in the day, just for different reasons. Um, yeah, so kind of to retrace our steps here and, and revisit the story. So everybody's known for a while Tampa was going to have to dump cap this year one way or another, but they have good players 
um, that they could move contracts from. So they necess- they didn't necessarily have to give up an asset. You know, if they give up a Yanni Gord or we thought a Tyler Johnson or something like that, that, yeah, well, at least they don't have to move a first or a second round pick. They won't get much in return, but, you know, it's it's better than Kyle Dubas having to give up a first round pick to get rid of Patrick Marlowe because these are still productive players. So I guess Tampa tried shopping Tyler Johnson around and did not have any success in trading him. So they just uh, said, screw it. You have a no trade clause, not a no move clause. They threw him on waivers, meaning whoever wanted him could have him. And many people uh, thought that, okay, this is just Tampa's way of working around his no trade clause because maybe they had a deal with Detroit in place because... Well, we had first waiver rights, so if we wanted him, we would take him and no other team could stop us from doing that. And then we would claim him and then Detroit and Tampa would work out a future trade. Well, imagine everybody's shock when Tyler Johnson clears waivers. Nobody claimed him. A 30-year-old who just put up 40-something points last year, I believe, or was roughly just over a half a point per game player. Nobody claimed him. And that was surprising until you dig a little deeper into it as i said he's 30 he has four years left uh on his contract at five million per year and even though i said he is still a productive player which is true he's already dropping off from what his production was so the nhl looked at it and said it's a pandemic we don't have cap space. We can't afford a $5 million player. And we, even if we have a direct need, like at the time Detroit did, because this was before the Nemesnikov signing, we are not paying a 30-year-old $5 million for four years, even if we get him for free with no assets. And the NHL just looked at Tampa and said, nope, you guys need help. We're going to benefit. So you're either going to give us a better player than Tyler Johnson, or you're going to give us a sweetener. So... I mean, when these when he went on waivers, I put it out there that I wouldn't have claimed him. That was just me because of all the reasons I just laid out, despite how wonderfully he would have upgraded our second line. Um, it just it's it's not the right time to do it. It's not the right uh, we'll call it apocalypse to do it in. So Tampa is left holding the bag here. Not sure what they're going to do yet because that was five days ago and they have not moved anybody yet. Yeah. And and I want to come in here because I think I had an opposing view and maybe I've come off it since then. Although, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it plays out as I, I talk it out. I'm kind of torn on it. Um, typically, yeah, I, I agree with you, Brad. I don't think that it would have made a ton of sense for Detroit to take that on with no sweetener. But it was kind of just like wild season, especially at the beginning of free agency. I wasn't really like a lot of moves weren't measuring up to their value and a lot of GMs weren't giving giving that sweetener. So I thought, you know, Eisman has talked a lot about needing that second line center, which is a very obvious need. And especially at the time where Tyler Johnson was on waivers, they hadn't made all of their moves quite yet. And I do believe Tyler Johnson has more in him. When you have a team as talented as Tampa Bay, guys like him tend to get moved down uh, the depth chart a little bit. So he won't have as much production as maybe he had when he was more of a key player. Um, do I think four years left at five million is good? No. Um, do I think the Red Wing, the better solution was for the Red Wings to take him for free? No, absolutely not. But I was just kind of putting myself in the mindset of 
if this guy's going for free, like if someone else gets him for free, I'll be kind of peeved that it wasn't the Red Wings at least. Does that make sense? Like, I think the the preferred thing would here would be uh, uh, everybody or everybody kind of holds off and doesn't help these GMs that are in tough spots. But if he's going to go, I wouldn't hate having Tyler Johnson as the second line center on this team. Is it funny that maybe maybe this is just how uh, adulthood has broken me when you're said I'd be pissed that someone else didn't get him. And the first thing my mind equated that too was like when crystal goes out shopping and like buys a purse or something and goes yeah but it was fifty dollars off i saved fifty dollars i'm like no you didn't save fifty dollars you spent a hundred so when a player I have, yeah that's completely game, fair 100 so it's like when tyler johnson's like we just picked up a 40 point score like for two million dollars less no you spent five million dollars you didn't save anything. So so the the big piece of this is that Tampa definitely still has to make a move. Um, and that means Detroit is still firmly in that conversation because as we've alluded to in the past, there aren't a lot of teams who can do what Detroit's doing right now or what Detroit can do. Um, and there aren't a lot of teams that are willing to uh, make those moves because you have to also factor in um, – a team's willingness to spend the money in terms of real dollars. Um, Whether or not that'll actually happen, I'm not sure because there's two factors at play. One, GMs like to help out other GMs for no godly reason. They like to help out the good team's GMs. Yeah. Who are cash-strapped. Quit doing that. It it genuinely sometimes feels like old buddies helping each other out. Like, oh, well, when I'm in a tough spot, they'll help me, which is like, this is a competition. One team lifts a cup, Stop pussyfooting. Like, stop helping the GMs. They want to offload a, a bad contract or a contract they can't afford anymore. Take their picks. Take a first. And if they, they say a first is too expensive, you say, well, that contract is too expensive. Then you walk away from the deal. And if they call you back, which they should be doing, then that's you, you demand the same thing. It's like you're, one of your only jobs as a GM is to be able to be a good negotiator. And so many GMs just so willfully avoid negotiation at all costs. And it's so bizarre. And then, you know, they sit there and blame the coaches and blame the players and blame this and blame that when the team's not successful. It's like, no, you need to make moves that uh, that edge you out that or sorry, edge out the other teams in the margins. And they're just cowards about it. Anyways, that was and- a big rant about how Jim Rutherford is an old boy <laughs> trying to help out other GMs. And I just want to get one other thing on record again. Uh, the context behind why Tampa is doing this is because they have $2 million in cap space and they still have Eric Chernak, Anthony Sorelli, and Mikhail Sergachev uh, as unsigned restricted free agents. And they are probably going to add up to well more than $10 million. So they are really screwed there. But I want to repeat because I see it not necessarily from Red Wings fans as much anymore, but I see it all over mainstream hockey media all the time as Detroit's like the prime team to do this. No, we should not offer Sheet Sorelli or Sergachev because if the Detroit Red Wings give up a first round draft pick now, they are out of their goddamned minds. So that could be first overall for the next two years. Do not give up first round picks when you suck. Anyway, you, you got to do it when you kind of don't suck. And you're 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 starting to come up in your prospects development cycle, and your team's you know on the edge of competing. That's when a good offer sheet should be 
a tool that a GM should use, but not when you're historically bad. Would I give up a first, a second, and a third round pick for Mikhail Sergachev? Absolutely. If I know that first round pick is going to be in the back half of the first round. Exactly. I also do it for Sorelli. Yeah. Again, great players. Back half of the first round. And and Sorelli, not as much because even though he's really good, his type of player is a little easier to find. Sergachev's one of those big, good defensemen that are, are very, very rare these days. Um, but yeah, like especially especially in next year's draft where the top 10 is just littered with defensemen. So it's it's just an insane idea that I can't believe is still being thrown out there. Okay, but I think you're sleeping on Sorelli and imagine a Larkin Sorelli one two center combo. That ain't bad. I know that no, like Red Wings shouldn't offer sheet them, but it's fun to think about. Like so go ahead. What's the threshold? Uh, what's the price threshold on a contract where it's then goes into offering or having to give first round picks? Uh, I think it's north, somewhere around sure. seven or eight million. Well, that would put that would put Tampa Bay in one hell of a bind. Oh, have yeah, to make also, some moves. Yeah, they would almost certainly not be able to match. But I think if the Detroit Red Wings are giving them a first round pick, they are going to very much not want to match. And again, don't get me wrong. I like Anthony Sorelli. The dude's going to be in the Selkie conversation for a long time. But he got close to his career high. Well, he did hit his career high in points. And if the season wasn't shortened, he would have finished around 50, 55 points. That's great, Um, but that's not you know like so ridiculously unbelievable that you have to have them and you and you can't find players like that in the draft etc cetera, etc cetera. again great player love to have him on the red wings would be an amazing second line center but again i'm not giving up a top 10 pick for him just want to add 4.363 is the threshold where first round picks become evolved Wait, that low oh is seven point- when the two first come in right six and a uh, s- sorry 4.3 Essentially, 4.3 to 6.5 is a first and a third. 6.5 to 8.7 is a first, a second, and a third. Okay. And 8.7 to 10.9 is two firsts, a second, and a third. And then 10.9 and up is four firsts. But you have to remember that that's not the AAV for their contract. If you sign that guy to a seven-year deal, you take the total value of the contract and divide it by five. So if you want him long-term, it gets jacked up even further. So yeah, one of my biggest gripes with the NHL is that the uh, offer sheet um returns are way too high and they're prohibitive and it ruins the fun. If you want to become more of a fun league, move around RFAs more. Yet I still again, don't think GMs would do it. No, because they're cowards. Eisenman would. Eisenman's a baller. Um okay. Let's before we get back to uh some league signings and then overtime, let's go uh cut over to our interview uh with none other than Will Scouch of Scouching, who uh talked to us uh much like Scott Wheeler last episode, uh about the Red Wings draft, the 2020 draft overall, and then our first look into the 2021 draft. Um Will did a good job of uh brushing up on some things that we maybe have talked about or or other picks that uh we weren't quite sure about at the time, like Kyle Coyne and Chase Bradley. Um, and it's always good to get different perspectives. Uh, so without further ado, Will Scouch of Scouching. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast's uh, returning interview with none other than Will Scouch of Scouching. Will, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back. It's great to see you again. 
for the uh, for those of you who didn't listen to our first interview, which we highly recommend, um, it was a great time. Uh, Will is the founder of Scouching. You can find him at Scouching. That's Couching with an S at the beginning on Twitter, uh, YouTube.com slash slash Scouching. He does a lot of great work there, has a Patreon as well, and then is also a contributor for McKean's Hockey. So, um, Will, I we were just talking before I hit record here, but... Uh, we're experiencing some like post-draft fatigue. Like we're finally resting our eyes a little bit and you seem to be, you're still trucking along. In a sense. Yeah. I mean, I, the last thing for the 2020 draft is just the video recaps I do. So I did it last year. Uh, so every team gets one. Luckily they're pretty quick to put together. Cause like 99% of the work is already done. Uh, just had to circle back on the lesser known names that went off the board this year, but, uh, that usually doesn't take too long. And, um, it's not so bad. It's a, it, I think the week leading up to the draft was a lot more fatiguing than the week since, <laughs> for sure. All right, so I won't make it too hard on you. I'll, I'll start with this softball. So uh, one of the few predictable things of the draft happened. Lafreniere, Byfield, Stutzla in the mm-hmm. top three. A lot of people considered the, said the draft starts at four, which for us was very relevant because that was the Detroit Red Wings. Um, tell us who you thought the Wings should pick, should have picked, given how it fell, and then, obviously, knowing it's Lucas Raymond, your overall thoughts on the player and the pick. Yeah, so at the time, honestly, like what I usually think about is, if I were sitting at the draft table, what are the names I would push for? You know, Who in this range am I happy with? And to me, that name was one of Marcus, Marco Rossi or Lucas Raymond, and... Honestly, the more I watch of both of them, the less and less I really care about which one you prefer. I think that Lucas Raymond has the potential to be, I would think, a more impactful uh, overall player in terms of driving play. But Marco Rossi has a tremendous skill set and tremendous set of talents that drive offense really, really well. Um, He's a competent defender, but his offensive talent is off the charts. Whereas with Lucas Raymond, there's a lot of potential for good offense down the road. But what I love about him is just how smart he is. He's he's just such a rock-solid hockey player. Like, you you never really have to worry about him when he's on the ice. He works hard. He's, he's an incredibly explosive skater. First couple of steps are quick, which is sometimes all you need to win a race to an, to an open puck or, or get into a puck battle. Um, you know, he drove unreal results at the SHL level last year. Like, he was one of the better defense-first wingers that I tracked all year, which for a guy who has the reputation of being more offensive kind of leads me to believe that, you know, when he's playing as a rookie in Sweden in the pro league, they probably were telling him, like, here's all the things you need to be sure you're doing on a day-to-day basis before you can be the guy filling the net with pucks. I mean, I think he also is working on the strength and the offensive ability to unlock what he can do, but I I thought that at four... One of those two guys, I wouldn't have been upset. I mean, if if Cole Perfetti, who was rumored to be the guy, was the guy, I would trust what Steve Eiserman can do to develop, I guess his development staff, I should say, to develop the the issues that he had with his skating, which is really the primary cause for concern, I would say. But Lucas Raymond is a great pick. I think it's the, the easiest pick to make it for. It was the biggest no-brainer pick. Uh, and clearly, uh, coming out of the draft, they really, really like uh, the guys that came out of Sweden this year for them. I mean, it's not like Hakan Anderson hasn't done anything for that organization before. <laughs> no. So I'll I'll transition to another Lucas Raymond question here because he has such a high amount of skill, but he is still pretty raw in a few aspects. Um, and given that he is slightly undersized, what do you think is a reasonable timeline 
for Lucas Raymond to get to the NHL? Well, I mean, uh, he, 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 I think he's played six games this year and he's already, I think 40% of the way to matching his production from last year. Like he's taken a step. He's playing more on the power play this year. He wasn't last year. You know, he is being relied upon a lot more on his team and in situations where he's going to be able to use his offense. I think that the only real thing that is a, a factor for him is time. I really think that, you know, if you want a specific time frame, I wouldn't be surprised to see him come over and play maybe even as an AHLer next year. I think if he takes, you know, if he further develops his game over the course of this season and continues to improve over the course of the year, has a great world junior, all those fun things, uh, if that happens, um, he, I think, might be able to push for a job next year. I think he thinks the game at a really, really high level. He he puts in the work that you need. Uh, he's a really, really respectable player when you watch him play. And the only thing I think with him is he needs to fill out his frame a bit to get a bit stronger, especially when he has the puck on his own stick. Um, but away from the puck, when he finds open space and he can get that shot off, he's unbelievable. Uh, you know, he's got a great shot, really, really good ability off the puck. It's just a matter of strength with the puck on his stick. I think he can learn that over the course of this year. He's getting put in a lot more situations where he can play with the puck, which wasn't really the case last year. I, I really like where he's going so far with his with his game. So I would say maybe next season, but being conservative, which is usually my tendency, maybe two seasons. But I honestly think the time frame is relatively quick, just mostly sur- surrounding how he perceives the game as it goes on. So then that all being said, when he does break through in Detroit, what do you think Lucas Raymond's ultimate ceiling could or should be? Like, is, is he an 80 point player? Is he a 60 point player? First power play? Is he top line? Again, it's line driving wingers are rare in the NHL, but I've seen some people say that Raymond is the type of guy who can carry a line from the wing. Where do you see him ultimately topping out if things go reasonably well in his development? Well, I think Lucas Raymond is going to play a really interesting role for an NHL team. And, and I think he's going to be playing a role that a lot of people overlook. Like you kind of alluded to it. He really strikes me as a player that just makes life way easier for his line mates in multiple ways. So he helps out his defense really well and, and suppressed danger against in the defensive zone really well in the SHL last year. Um, you know, he he's a, he's a hard worker. He's a physical player. He applies pressure relentlessly when he doesn't have the puck. Um, I, I, I don't really see a situation where he's anything less than a top six winger. I think there's potential down the road. He has the mobility in the brain to potentially play center. I think it's, it's, it's a possibility, but I think more reasonably like a first line center pairing him with a speedster like Dylan Larkin or a finisher like Anthony Mantha, if those two guys are there for the long run. I mean, Lucas Raymond, I don't think, is a guy that you park in the offensive zone just teeing up shots all night. I think he's much better served as a 200-foot guy with a great impact on the game overall with some really, really dangerous shooting instincts and some decent creativity in the, in, in, in front of the net. Um, so I, I think he's kind of a really high-level Swiss Army knife. He's going to be a really reliable player away from the puck. I really get the feeling that he's going to chip in offensively. I don't know about a point-per-game player, but he certainly will be a player who will make life a lot easier for his line mates. And if he's playing on your first line with skilled players or, or designated goal scorers who can really shoot the puck, I think he's going to make a, a great fit regardless of who he's playing with. Just a, just a rock-solid hockey player, I think. All right, so you heard it from uh, Will Scouch first. We just drafted Mark Stone. I'm just kidding. Uh, 
So that's speaking to my fancies, and you know it, Brad. (laughs) (laughs) There is a very specific reason I said Mark Stone and not anybody else. (laughs) So um, now that we've got Red Wings fans good and excited, uh, let's talk about their second round because obviously where they're at in the rebuild, they are just stockpiling infinity darts to throw at the board. They had three second rounders last year, three this past draft, and they've already got three for this upcoming season. So they took William Wallander, Theodore Niederbach, and Cross Hannes. What did you make of that round for the Red Wings? Yeah, I I think with the Red Wings, you know, I I trust what they're doing in terms of who they're looking at and, and, and what exactly it is that they're looking for in players. I thought William Willinder at 32 was a great pick. I, I know there are people out there who are much lower on him than I am. I had him ranked in my top 20. I, I think that you bet on his mobility and you bet on his creativity with the puck. I think, you know, he he's, he's probably one of the rawest players in the draft. But to me, I'm not really scared of players that are quote-unquote raw. Like, he's huge. He's really young, but he skates like he's five foot ten. Uh, you know, he's got really good skill for a big guy. And if you can refine that even more, I think you've got yourself a, a great defenseman there. I think he's got some issues with his positioning in the defensive zone, which can burn him sometimes. But whenever I've seen him put in a situation that isn't at the junior level, that seems to go away a little bit. And he seems to care, be a bit more careful with his game, uh, especially breaking pucks out up the ice. And junior, he will go end to end effortlessly a lot of the time and it some of the time you go what are you thinking you're you're nuts if you're going to be doing that at the next level and in the in the, at the next level in the Allsvenskan so far I've seen him you know being more patient you know using his mobility and his skill to open up the ice a little bit more to look for passing options but if he sees a seam to rush he'll probably take that chance I think he's a great bet in terms of maybe not an NHL player for the next two seasons but just as a really rock solid two-way impact guy with some really interesting offensive talent like there were players on my tracking list this year who across a seven game sample got fewer got fewer shot attempts from high and medium danger areas than wallander did and they were forwards so you know he's a guy who jumps into the offensive zone a lot to generate offense which i'm not afraid of i know some people are in terms of looking at defensemen but i think in in the modern world of hockey you have to look for defensemen that can engage offensively and wallander is no different Niederbach and Hannes, I I thought Niederbach was a perfectly reasonable pick at 51. I know people are huge fans of him. I'm not necessarily on that same board, but, you know, I think what's very interesting about him is that he missed an an entire season and came back and still performed very, very well overall. Really good power play puck distributor. I think that that's his best attribute is his puck distribution. You know, he's more of a low pace kind of middle of the ice puck management player where he can find his line mates move pucks up the ice with control and just make plays i question how much his game translates once he goes to higher levels but perfectly reasonable swing to take especially if he's your third guy off the board cross hannis i i like his skill really offensively skilled player uh good metrics in terms of getting points on goals when they're scored on the ice you know good finisher he scored a lacrosse goal this year, which was fun when that was a thing that everyone would seem to be wanting to do. Uh, you know, I think his defensive game on paper and from what I've seen is where he needs some work, but he might be one of these players that for now has some defensive issues with the work rate and everything uh, and and instead focuses more on offense and, and attacking and, and trying to get to the net with, with that skill. I, I think he's an interesting project to work on. Again, if he was the maybe second or third guy I drafted this year, I'd be a little bit more hesitant. I didn't have him ranked because I question how projectable his game is, but he is very skilled and a lot of fun to watch. So we'll see what happens. 
Um, so I think overall, like they might not have picked everyone who I would have pushed for at every single slot in the, in the second round there, but I see the reasoning behind all of these picks. You know, Niederbach, I think, could be a really good puck distribution center with maybe some power play potential. Cross Hannes, tons of skill, and it's never a bad thing to bet on that. And and Valinder, I think, you know, there's a chance Valinder never plays in the NHL, but I'm not of the belief that it's worth passing on him just because you're, you know, concerned about that, like that possibility because of, you know, the talent that he shows on the ice and the raw potential. I think there's tons and tons of potential for him to be a really exciting offensive defenseman in the NHL one day. So you, you've kind of alluded to this, um, and this is something that I've personally put forward to the listeners, which is that, uh, yeah, the, the picks didn't go how we would have necessarily picked them. Like, I personally didn't predict um, those three guys being who Detroit would pick based on who was on the board. I, I'm a fan of Wallander. I'm a fan of Niederbach. But even admittedly, that's not who I was shooting for at that time. Um, but what I do think is happening here is that the Red Wings are taking their abundance of dart throws, as Brad alluded, as Brad called them before, and just going for high, high upside swings. Like they could swing and strike out and fall on their ass and embarrass themselves, or they can knock one out of the park, which is kind of what they would want to do because they don't have that Alexi Lafreniere lottery luck and they don't have uh, the Braden point that Eisenman had in Tampa Bay on this team yet. So they're trying to generate one of those and they can't control the lottery. So what they can do is, is and try to, to, to get an extremely high value pick in the second round. Basically, I just gave you my statement in the form of a question, but is that your read on this as well? I can see that, you know, I, I think you look at some of the guys that went off the board in the, in the 50 to 70 range. And like, I'm just looking at the, at the draft list here. I mean, I'd be curious why Detroit didn't go for a name like Casper Simon Tyval if they were drafting guys like Cross Hannes. Um, I think Simon Tyval brings more pace to the game right now. I mean, maybe Hannes has, you know, I think Hannes has really good skill and, and offensive potential. Um, but, you know, you look at other names that were going off the board there. I mean, Jean-Luc Foudy, I thought was a guy that the Detroit Red Wings might be able to work with and develop into, especially with someone like Dylan Larkin on the team already. Danny Gustin went 76th. I mean, that's a guy who went way too late to me. And I thought that really sort of screamed sort of big swing for the fences. But I guess it's a, it's a, these are, these are swings that are a bit different. You know, Teddy Niederbach, really smart player. I, I really like how he distributes the puck. Once in a while, I saw him do some really impressive rushes up the ice on his own stick. Um, so, you know, people who might think they might have hit for a double instead of tried to crack a home run. You know, I think they're going to end up with at least some serviceable NHL players out of this. And if you get those in the late second round, you know, if let's say all four of these first four picks off the board become serviceable, not bad NHL players, then that is a good pickup. And if you have your top line winger in 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 Lucas Raymond, that's a great first four picks off the draft. You know, it makes your life way easier when it comes to filling out your roster. So I think it's entirely possible with these players. Um, just, you know. They're swings, but maybe not the, the the hardest swing for the fences they could have taken. But I, I don't see any real issue with that overall. So I just want to circle back to one thing about Niederbach before we move on, because you alluded to it earlier that he missed an entire year due to a knee injury. So one of the theories that I've, I've seen floating around, and I, I don't know how much I buy into it personally, but I think it, it's worth noting, is that because he missed a full year of development, you you almost look at him as an underager for this draft because his development is a year behind everybody else. So he missed the year, came back for his D-1 year, and lit up 
um, the Swedish Junior League. And now he's back in the Swedish Junior League this year and he's off to a, a blazing hot start. So do you think the Red Wings might have factored that into it? Just that, yeah, he's he maybe not be the best player on our board right now, but given his lack of development versus everybody else, we think that ceiling might be even higher once he quote-unquote catches up. Mm-hmm. 100%. I, I think that absolutely was a factor. I, I, you know, I watched a lot of him last year to really try to get what, he was all about and i mean i had him ranked at 66th which is exactly where i'm just looking now like bob mckenzie had him slotted in there craig button had him slotted in there a few different outlets had him slotted in there a few had him a lot higher though and when i asked around about it and brought up what issues he might show in terms of producing at five on five and you know what i had seen of him in per or at least with my eyes didn't really give me a tremendous amount of 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 confidence in terms of projecting his game but I mean, it was your third guy off the board, and there is certainly that factor to it where you you have a guy who missed a whole year and still was over a point per game against under 20 competition, and I believe he had never played against that level before. So I think that's on its own pretty remarkable. Um, you know, I know for a fact that not every single player in the NHL is an extremely high-paced player, so it's not like there there's a guy like Niederbach it's not like guys like Niederbach don't exist in the NHL so I think it's a perfectly reasonable swing to take and and the fact that he's gotten off to such an enormously massive start is is promising to say the least um so I'll be very curious to see how his career goes because you know I know that it's hard to evaluate when you have a player who's missed an entire season um you know I had a player like Anton Johannesson also ranked quite high but he was also a player who's missed a lot of time due to injury. So, you know, I, there were there were things that concerned me with Niederbach. But again, like this is why I rank guys in tiers because you can make a case for Niederbach much higher than I had him ranked. It's just for me, the 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 pace of the game is kind of where my questions start. But that's something that hopefully you can work with because his brain is at such a high level when he when he's playing on the ice. So then as the Red Wings got into the third round, they had two more picks. They traded back with one of them, but not overly far. Uh, I, I found it interesting that they took Wallander, a left-handed shot D, uh, at 32. And then in the third round, they went back-to-back left-handed D. And all three of these guys I, I find to be very different players. Obviously, Donovan Sabrango uh, playing in Kitchener here. I'm a big fan of his. Uh, completely biased just because I've got to watch him play 120-something times, basically. Yep. Um, and he, he's your kind of two-way high IQ with a bit of a physical edge defenseman. And then they got the Emil Vero, the uh, perennial overachiever, or always playing above his age group, playing in Liga last year, although being your quiet, unspectacular defenseman. W- what did you make of those picks coupled with the Wallander pick? Um, you know, I don't mind. The more I watched of Emil Vero, the less and less I minded him. I know that there was some data out there that uh, from people that I trust that indicate that his game might not project super well, uh, especially when you're on smaller ice in North America. A lot of dumping out of his own zone, a lot of dumping into the offensive zone. Um, but the good thing about Vero is that I think he has a lot of really solid mobility to to fix that mentality problem where you know, you can just tell him, like, you're more than capable of skating with the puck and finding line mates and all these things. But I think that there were issues that I think make him a bit more of a long-term project, but an interesting one to take at 70. I mean, I had him ranked 76. 
you know, he and you're betting on sort of his mobility and his defensive ability, I would say, is fine. Um, but I don't think that's a bad bet to make at 70. Sobrango, I didn't track any data of Sobrango. I only saw him play a little bit. Um, I, 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 I never saw anything that I found that blew me away for a potential NHL pick, but he had some good offensive metrics. Uh, the defensive side of the puck, at least relative to the team when he wasn't on the ice, was not as not as not as remarkable we'll call it as as more of the offensive side of the game you know he was a net negative goal impact player uh for for kitchener overall but uh i do see everything that you just mentioned about his game you know the defensive side of the game with that sort of edge is there um so it's just going to be a matter of of improving the actual results because overall uh i i didn't see enough out of him to to really like i didn't have him ranked but i know that people were fans of him so again if I was in that room, probably not the guy I would have gone for at 63, especially there. But if there was a lot of people like pounding the table and screaming about him, he's not a nobody. And I think that there is some data that that paints him much more favorably. Um, you know, Vero, I think, is an interesting one. They took some nice bets to hedge, though, I think, against a player like Niederbach. I think someone like Vero has a has a more reliable sort of method to playing the game. And I think Wallander can sort of burn himself a lot, and Vero is playing at a higher level in the Liga. And Sobrango, I mean, who knows? We'll see. I mean, he defensemen can take a while to, to figure it out, especially if they're that physical side player. Uh, it's just going to be a question of, of turning around those actual results, because that's kind of what pushed me a little bit away from Sobrango. All right, and then uh, I won't make you dive into each of the Red Wings picks rounds four through seven, because those are all long shots to begin with. But were there any of their remaining picks that you really loved that stood out to you or any picks that made you just say, what in the ever living hell are you doing? Yeah. Um, so I can't really say much about Sam Stange and, and Keenan Draper. I, I didn't see a, a ton out of either. I didn't see anything of Keenan Draper. I think I saw one St. Andrews game all year and I Canadian high school. I don't know. Um, Sam Stange. I don't. He's fine, I suppose. I, I didn't see a tremendous amount out of him that screamed this guy should have been picked a year ago. Um, Alex Cotton, I think, is very uh, the 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 Twitter sphere latched onto his production. I don't think it's projectable at all. I I was surprised to see him get picked, and I was also surprised to see. Uh, Detroit be the one that takes the pick on him. He's a very heavily sheltered offensive focus player, which I don't think projects well for a defenseman. He's not the best skater. He kind of lumbers his way around the ice. I just didn't really see, especially for someone who was undrafted last year, I didn't really see a guy who really needed to be part of an NHL team right now, maybe another year where he can work on some other areas of the game we could get there. But the other guys I actually really am interested in. I think Kyle Coyne was a guy who, whenever I saw guys like Colby Ambrosio or Mitchell Miller play, he would do things once in a while where I go, who's that guy? And usually when I do that and it's the same guy a couple of times in a row, that's usually a good sign. And Kyle Coyne, I think, especially for where he went, drafting guys who have that capability where once in a while you see some skill out of your defensemen some aggressiveness out of your defensemen you know there's good defensive results for for a coin overall uh or sorry good two-way results for for him overall with with tri-city you know i i was curious about that pick and i'm curious to see where he goes and then the really interesting one to me is chase bradley at 203 uh no one really was talking about this guy at all all year someone in my discord server asked for a bit of data on him and so i went and tracked him 
he barely plays with his team in Omaha. He's a fourth line guy, I think. And you don't really see a ton of USHL fourth liners. But what I've seen out of him is really impressive, I think. I think that he's a real no-nonsense guy who can just generate offense. I know he didn't score a ton of points, but a lot of that is because he wasn't playing very much. Um, you know, he drove possession really well in the games that I tracked. Definitely needs some work and refinements in terms of some fundamentals, like completing passes, being aware of line mates. Um, you know, but he puts in the work. He generated really good offensive results. I, I would be really curious to see what happens with him. He might not be a guy who, you know, is a freshman, one-and-done college guy. But if you give him two or three years to develop and just sort of raise his floor, I think there could be an interesting player there because the results he put up in limited playing time were was impressive. So him and a coin are the late-round guys for, for the Red Wings that I'm really interested in. I'd be surprised if Alex Cotton, as a defenseman, uh, became much of anything. And Stange and Draper... We'll see, I guess. I, I, I don't know, especially Keenan Draper. I know they say that they drafted him because he was the best player on the board, but I don't know how that, especially when you look at who went undrafted. But we'll we'll move on from that, and uh, and I would definitely focus on Coin and Bradley for sure. Well, I'm glad you got to that because um, Coin and Bradley were probably two of the guys that uh, befuddled us the most. Um, we've in our time since uh, our review episode i've probably put in the most work trying to dig up footage on them so i appreciate you uh doing our work for us um i'm going to pivot us away from the red wings specifically let's talk about the first round because it was a little bit of an interesting one uh especially near the top so i guess i won't ask you a pointed question but uh, just ask for your general thoughts on how that shook out and maybe what was the most surprising or or who got the most value there sure so it was weird. I mean, I think the first 20 picks went about how the conventional wisdom was expecting it to go. I mean, I was, I guess, for pleasant surprises in the top 20, I was really pleasantly surprised to see Lucas Reichel go 17th. I it, I tracked 96 players all year this year, at least to some decent sample size. And Lucas Reichel was one of the first ones that I tracked. And at the end of the year, he was still one of the best players uh, in terms of generating high danger chances from in front of the net. So he's a guy who just goes out and executes. He's a tran- he's, he's, he's working on his transition game, but he is a guy who is, I think, got the potential to be a great complementary scorer in the NHL. You know, if he's not the primary focus point for a line and driving that play up the ice, he can be a guy who finds open ice in the offensive zone really, really well, distributes pucks really, really well, but best his best thing is off-puck offense, getting that open ice and just getting shots off. Um, I think if he gets stronger on his feet, he has a lot of potential as a transition player. He was willing to go into the corners and, and dig for pucks and and battle and do all those things coaches are looking for, but you could tell that he was small and in a in a men's league for the first time and, and getting, you know, removed from play a little bit too easily. But he's taken steps, I think, over the summer based on what I've seen from him, however limited and however limited in scope those games might have been. But that was the guy where when I heard his name called at 17, I had him ranked at 19th. I was really pleasantly surprised that Chicago took a risk on him. I mean, maybe there might have been some better players on the board overall, but that is that is a perfectly reasonable pick, I think, based on the data that I tracked. The 20 to 31, I would say, range at the end of the first round was a complete gong show. I, I was really kind of trying to find the words at times about what was going down. I mean... Would Shakir Mukamadulin have been my guy at 20? No. Would Yigor Chinikov have been my guy at 21? No. 
But Hendricks Lapierre to Washington is hilarious, especially considering they landed Connor McMichael last year. Washington, I think, is even though they're you know playoff team, a playoff team that goes deep, they're doing pretty well to replenish their cupboard. Um, I, I really liked though the group of guys that went twenty nine through thirty one: Brendan Brisson, Maverick Bork, and Ozzy Wiesblatt. I think those guys went way too late. I mean, I had Brendan Brisson ranked thirty first, but you could easily, easily make the case for that guy to go ten picks higher. Uh, you know, Braden Schneider went 19th. I would much rather have Brendan Brisson than Braden Schneider. Um, it's just, it, he he's one of these guys, I think it was J.D. Burke who mentioned the only reason, or sorry, what Brendan Brisson, if all else fails, Brendan Brisson will still have an NHL job just because of his one-timer on the power play. Even if he's a third-line complementary scoring winger, you could put him on your second-unit power play and he'll just crank one-timers all day and probably score a few goals. So... I, I think 10 picks ahead of that, I would have started thinking about Brisson, even if I didn't have him ranked that high. Maverick Bork should have been gone 10 picks higher at least. I, I couldn't believe that the Dallas Stars, who just went to the Stanley Cup final, got, to me, one of the smartest and most clever puck distributors in the, in, in the, in the draft. I think he is adaptable offensively. As an offensive center, there's tons and tons of potential there. And then Ozzie Wiesblatt, pff, I mean, I, I just really like the kid. Dual threat offense. Um, tons of potential with his skill and his speed and his aggressiveness. He he's pretty slight on his feet, but I really liked him when he was playing center. He was he's listed as a winger, but I saw a few games where he's playing center for Prince Albert. And if he can, you know, work on his pivots in the neutral zone to cover defensive breakouts a little bit better, uh, you know, and and if he can sort of bring that work ethic that he has offensively to the defensive side of the game a little bit more. I think that there could be a really interesting impact player here for San Jose. I, I really liked San Jose's draft overall, but seeing them take Ozzy Wiesblatt at 31 really kind of put a smile on my face because I'm a big fan of him, uh, and and I was more and more a fan of him the more I saw as the year went on. All right, so I'm sure you are seeing 2020 draft prospects in your sleep at this point. Yes. So I'm going to pivot a little bit and kind of ask you, Almost a philosophical question about the 2021 draft, given what the Red Wings have done. So by and large, people are very, very happy with what the Red Wings did in free agency. They didn't take any huge swings, but they dramatically improved their team upon last year, which still could mean they finished 31st, but let's assume they jump up a couple spots. The 2021 draft is shaping up to be the no clear-cut number one, but a really strong top 10 to 12 depending who do you talk to do you think mm -hmm. that's a reasonable statement so that the red wings fans don't need to be super concerned if they end up picking let's say seventh next year instead of fourth again um what, what's your initial impression of the upcoming draft it, I, I can't remember the last time a draft was like this honestly i i i mean I don't see a clear-cut number one at all. I don't. I, I think I have Atu Ratu right there now, but that's not, I don't think that's at all set in stone. I mean, there's a lot of guys who haven't played yet that, that are very, very talented. I don't have them ranked, obviously, right now because I haven't seen them play. But I could easily see a situation where a number of guys off the NTDP team go first overall. I could see Owen Power being a guy who works his way into first overall contention. Um, I can see a lot of different scenarios playing themselves out. I'm already getting impatient to start seeing what 
other people are sort of thinking about for top end players in this draft, especially based on the guys that have already been playing. I mean, even a guy like Nikita Chibrikov in Russia has been looking awesome for for the St. Petersburg junior team, and he's been playing in the KHL a little bit. Um, obviously, that's coronavirus related, but he's still playing in the KHL, and his team is not completely under the water when he's playing with a bunch of kids who are playing in the KHL for the first time. Uh, Zach LaRue in Halifax has looked awesome in the games that they've played this year, and I really, really like him. Um, Samuel Salmanen in, in Finland. I mean, Samuel Hellenius is a huge guy already playing in the Liga who I've liked a lot more than I think most people. Um, and, you know, that goes out to the people who think I don't like big players. I mean, Samuel Hellenius is a six foot six center, but he skates like he's six feet tall, and it's really awesome to watch. I think there's a lot of talent in this up year up in this upcoming draft. Maybe it, it to me it's as if the the draft crop for next year is like this year but from I'd say guys that went in that 5 to 10 range, but there's about 15 of them. So you're going to end up with I think very different looking lists across the board. I think there's it's still very early and a lot of players still haven't played. But I wouldn't be surprised to see some very interesting looks at who goes first overall. I can't remember the last time it was this questionable. The last time I remember this anything close was probably 2017. But that was more like, you know, there's Nico Heeshear, sort of this fifth, sixth ranked guy coming over to North America for the first time. And everyone was sort of focused on Nolan Patrick. And it, in retrospect, yeah, it, it looks like 2017 was a pretty even year. But this is like right from the get-go. I don't really see a ton that that denotes this guy is the best player available. I mean, Atu Ratu, I think, has the potential to be that. He, I think his offensive game has stagnated a little bit in the last couple of seasons. Like last year, he only scored two goals at the junior level, but that doesn't mean he wasn't getting his chances. I just think the finishing talent is a bit lacking there. He's a great two-way player. He reminds me of like an Anton Lindell, but ratcheted up a little bit. So maybe not an elite-level high-end center but I think he could get there if his season progresses and he develops a little more. I mean, the defense group this year is also looking great. You got Simon Edvinson and Hugo Gabrielson for Falunda both playing together. Um, they both look awesome so far. So I think there's a lot of really interesting looks for guys, and they're coming from all over the place. There's defensemen in Russia, which to a lot of people were a, a unicorn. Now there's multiple defensemen in Russia that I would look at in the first round. Daniel Chayka, Kirill, Kirill Kursanov, Vladislav Lukashevich. Uh, there's a bunch of them. Dmitry Kostenko is another one. I think it's a very, very interesting first round for next year that's coming up. Uh, I, and yeah, I'm, I've been digging through 2021 guys for about a week now. And I mean, I have a rough order of about two rounds worth of guys that I've liked to varying degrees. But I have no idea what's going to happen in June for sure, assuming that's when the draft happens. All right. And on that note, one final question for me, and it's going to involve 2021. So the Rona has ruined the world and it has probably <laughs> ruined scouting for this year. So given that we've already seen a bunch of SHL hockey, we've seen over a month of KHL hockey and MHL hockey. The QMJHL has started and has now shut down. The WHL and the OHL are not starting for a while still, so we're going to have wildly different sample sizes, which then will affect player development because you won't see, you might not see a late season riser in the OHL because maybe that guy just doesn't get enough games to hit that peak. What is the mentality you, and maybe even more broadly, the scouting community should be taking 
going into a world where nothing is created equal. If it's me, I think you can't stress too much. I think you have to accept that there might be a situation in this year's draft where there's a lot more question marks about almost everyone, especially North American players. You know, it doesn't seem from what I've been able to follow in terms of the news outside of Russia, it doesn't seem like coronavirus is the is is causing as many issues or could pose as many issues as it has for North American junior. There are teams in Finland that have had to stop playing for a while. Um, but outside of that, things seem to be relatively under control ish as much as they can be, at least relative to North America. I, I think looking towards 2021, there's going to be question marks, especially if things continue the way they are. You know, the CHL has hit a, a bit of a snag and Canada on the, on the whole has hit kind of a, a second wave here. So we'll see if that dissipates by December. I don't know. I don't know. It's not up to me. It's up to society as a whole. So I think as a hockey scout, you have to accept that there's going to be limitations this year. And you're going to have to accept that there's a chance that it might just come down to rolling dice and saying, look, we like what we've seen of this guy. You know, maybe this kid from the OHL who only played 30 games might turn out to be a better player because they just missed a lot of hockey and they have this regression that's left that they still need to do. Maybe that's the way you take it and just say, well, let's let's just see what happens because I think a lot of people will sort of give you a pass. That doesn't mean that you can't look at, you know, that, that doesn't mean you can't use data and analysis to really look at what you're getting in a player and i think you i think there are certainly players that are playing now that are very clearly a step ahead of some others but i think if you think about it and try to constantly anticipate well you know this guy was playing in the ohl for only 30 games but if he had only played a 68 game sample then he would have been better than this kid who played a full season in sweden that person might be right but i feel like that's something that you can't predict with enough accuracy that if you have say a top 10 or top 15 pick that you are willing to take that risk. I think we could see some guys in North America slip in the draft that they, that probably shouldn't slip as far as they do. But I think teams are going to look at what is right in front of them. There are guys out there that have played 14 games already, 15 games of league play. So they're going to get a bigger sample size. They're going to have more visibility. And I mean, we'll have to see what happens. I don't really know. I think trying to predict what's going to happen between now and June. I mean, think of where we were like that was eight months ago. So eight in the in the next eight months, like think back to where we were eight months ago. I have no idea where we're going to be. So I all you can do is sort of sit back, look at it as it comes to you, let the kids play as long as it's safe for them to do so, um, and just be patient. I think and and just accept that there's uncertainty this year because otherwise you're going to go nuts and you're probably going to overthink things. I, I don't know though. It's it's really really hard for sure. Well, Will, it goes without saying that over the uh, the entire process leading up to this draft and then leading up to this draft again, um, you've done excellent work and uh, you've been a big help for hockey fans. So happy to have you uh, back on the show. Uh, we are going to uh, lock you into coming back on the show again, whether you like it or not. But I appreciate you coming on and um, everyone check out Scouching uh, at Scouching on Twitter or look up Scouching on YouTube. Uh, Will does awesome work. And uh, Oh, yeah. Again. Thanks, guys. Yep. And welcome back. That was our interview uh, with Will Scouch of Scouching. Um, always great, great to get his perspective. Um, a comment we 
uh, I think it was on YouTube or maybe Facebook or something. Uh, someone was like, Oh man, why do you guys have this guy on? Um, and it wasn't about Will. It, it was about Scott's interview. They're like, we are so, we were riding this high about the Red Wings. Um, and like totally respect that you like just one thing that we do is that we get a lot of different perspectives on the show and not everyone necessarily agrees. Um, for an example, you don't really have to look too much too far back. We had Sam Costantino, who's, you know, big name in the world of hockey media and, and especially draft analyst. He's the lead draft analyst over at Sportsnet. Um, he was the one driving the Perfetti to the Red Wings conversation. And, and he was the one who put that out there as at one point a lock. And we talked to him and it was, a, it was a good interview. We got a lot of good insight. And after, uh, you know, we talked and we said, yeah, we're actually not sure about what Sam said. We don't think that Perfetti is a lock to the Red Wings, but it's good to kind of offer the differing insight. So uh, not that I think anything that uh, Will said today was necessarily like absolutely wrong. Um, I appreciated him offering insight on Kyle O'Coin and Chase Bradley and kind of fun that there was positive insight on those guys. I wasn't expecting that for late round picks. Yeah, we um, to use everybody's favorite term, uh, we don't want to turn into an echo chamber, y- you know, like if we keep repeating and hearing the same opinions over and over and over again, are we really learning anything? Honestly, no, we're not. And Will was overwhelmingly positive about the Red Wings draft as a whole. So like, I'm not, yeah, he didn't like the late round picks, but I didn't love the late round picks the Red Wings made um, relative to who was available. So I can't say I was a little higher on uh, Cotton than he was. Um, uh, I, I was a little higher on Bednar than he was, and I was way down on a coin than, uh, and he wasn't. So again, it, it's amazing to hear these perspectives and Will gives way, way too much insight. Just makes me feel like an idiot, honestly, because he, <laughs> he could tell you about like these kids, parents, um, birthmarks and, you know, uh, what they had for breakfast when they were 10 years old. So he knows these guys inside note. So he's got some pretty good insight. So if he's telling us we should be hyped about William Wallander at 32, we should be hyped about William Wallander at 32. Yeah, Will gets down and dirty with those draft picks. Um, and, you know, just to further what Brad said, the more, you know, we become like an echo chamber, the more it's necessary for Evan to speak. And I don't know who that's good for. So the people. definitely not. <laughs> then why don't you do it more? Don't you want, don't you want to please the people? Well, you guys cover everything already. I no, there's no stir, stone left unturned when it's my turn to talk. What he's saying is our know. opinions are so rock solid that he just doesn't need to to come in. Thanks, Evan. Appreciate sure. that. <laughs> Evan, I want you to know that of the squares on my screen, I stare at yours literally. The I'm talking to you when I speak <laughs> because I just want to see if you're like in on this conversation. Because if you are, I shut up right away. Because I'm like, oh, Evan's going. <laughs> Evan's good. <laughs> but yeah. uh, no, you have the other monitor going, so it gives you it gives you away dead. Oh yeah, I don't know what we'll ever do. I was thinking about this today. If we ever go back, when or if we ever go back to in person, I'm screwed because I will know nothing. <laughs> I will know less than nothing because while we talk or come up with what we're going to talk about this episode, Google is on fire. I had to get two extra sticks of RAM just to run all these tabs. You do incidentally end up doing more research than most people who talk hockey, but that's because you feel under pressure because Brad and I throw to you when you're not expecting. I watch a shockingly low amount of hockey and the only time I get information instantly from Twitter and then I have Google to help me out because I cannot watch that much hockey. I wish I could. 
but you know golf course is busy life's busy it's tough so yeah you know i i, I don't mind doing the research i just want to make sure i don't sound like a complete bozo when i open my mouth <laughs> why me and ryan have no problems with it yeah we do it willingly it's kind of our stick yeah that is true but i'm the man of the people so that's true um, okay, we're going to jump into some uh, league-wide news, mostly signings and things before heading into overtime. Uh, since last episode, some notable signings. Uh, we talked about the Toffoli deal, did we? I was trying to remember where we left off. I thought the Toffoli deal came down Monday, so I think did we, we talk about Petrangelo signing. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah okay, we... then that ar- the Tyler Toffoli signing had already happened at that point. There we go. Uh, Marlowe back to San Jose, and he'll probably pass Gordy Howe's uh, game's played record, I think. Like, I like Patrick Marlowe, so I'm going to be happy to see him break it, but there's just something not right about seeing Patrick Marlowe hold the all-times game's played record. Like, you, we're going to look that in 30 years, expecting to see, like, some of the greatest hockey players of all time. Oh, Yager, Howe, you know, these, these perennial all-stars, MVPs, and then it's going to be Patrick Marlowe. Not that he's a bad player, but if there was a Hall of Very Good, he would be in it. I have a game. Uh, was there a lockout 2012-2013? Yep. Half a year. Okay. So let's guess. What are the fewest amount of games played for Patrick Marlowe in an NHL season? Outside of 12-13? Outside of that. That was 48. So that might have been the whole thing. <laughs> 69. Nice. 72. The lowest that I can see is 70, 76. Oh, Jesus God. Christ. He's oh, never 74. More than- 74 in 1997. Scrub. <laughs> scrub, injury prone, scrub, He's get him out of here. He's never missed more than eight games in a season. That is incredible. Um. Okay. That reminds me, don't let me forget to talk about uh, regional divisions, which haphazardly leaked. Um, other signings, uh, Montreal extended Jake Allen two years at 2.875 per year. Um, and then actually, I'll just skip to the next two Montreal signings. Uh, Brendan Gallagher at, uh, what was it, six years at 6.5 per year. And then, oh no, sorry, I'm thinking of off to Ottawa. So those are the two notable Montreal signings. I think good value for Gallagher. Yeah, I mean, six and a half million dollars. He's he's a very one-dimensional player, but it's one hell of a dimension. Crash the net, get puck in net. He's really, really good at that. Um, so six and a half million dollars for a guy who should flirt with 30 goals every year, that he's healthy. Uh, I think that's great value. And um, Montreal did did well in getting a bit more term at reasonable cap hits because of the pandemic. And obviously Montreal's in a, one of the teams that they'll always have money. They're not going to be cash poor. Um, so the fact that they could get Tyler Toffoli on some term at a good cap hit, the fact that they could get Brendan Gallagher um, with some term on a good cap hit um, makes sense. But then you couple it with the Josh Anderson contract and it just makes the Anderson contract even more confusing. But because didn't Anderson got pretty damn close to what Gallagher did, and I would say Gallagher is a far superior player, even when Anderson's healthy. But ah, well, we'll let Montreal do Montreal. Do you see that one quote about Bergevin too? They're like, 
Yeah, I got a lot done this week because the gym was closed. <laughs> I feel you, man. <laughs> like, although I don't look like Bergevin, so maybe I shouldn't be saying that. Um, okay, two other pieces of news. First of all, Tyler Bertuzzi's arbitration date is at, is at October 25th. So 10 days really for uh, Eisenman and Bertuzzi to figure that out uh, before those hearings start. Um, doesn't mean even when they start that there can't be um, more uh, uh negotiation negotiations and a contract settled before the judge or the arbiter uh settles the case so secondly um it was kind of leaked by way of uh, vegas management that we might be looking at regionally based divisions for this next season do you guys see that can no. i circle back to the bertuzzi point though because i was thinking about something with him yeah that so if bertuzzi might be one of those few cases from the player standpoint where he almost hopes it goes to arbitration because arbitration isn't what necessarily what people think it is where they break down video, rip a player and say, look here, you suck. It's basically just a a, a stats analysis. Like, well, here's what other comparable players with similar stats, analytics, whatever you want to go by have produced. And here's what they got paid. Obviously the pandemic um, is going to make that a little trickier, but Bertuzzi is a guy whose stats overperform what he is as a player because he's a good complimentary player. So normally I say there's a 0%, like a less than 1% chance that it actually gets to arbitration. But if I'm Bertuzzi, I don't think I'd be scared of it because his comparables are probably going to be better than what he is. Whereas it's the exact opposite for Anthony Mantha, which might explain why he didn't elect for arbitration and, and prefer to use offer sheets as his leverage because he's a player who are, is far better than his stats have shown because of injuries. So I, I just found that super interesting because I thought it was confusing that one of them elected, but the other didn't. And then the more I thought about it, the more it made a lot of sense to me, which makes me confident that Mantha is going to get a better contract than I think. And it makes me a little worried that I think Ty, uh, Bertuzzi might end up being a touch overpaid. But that's just me. What would we be looking at in arbitration? Like a one or two year deal at four and a half to five? Something like that, because there's certain requirements, and I cannot remember exactly what they are, but I'm pretty sure two years would walk Bertuzzi right to unrestricted free agency, wouldn't it? So if if they do go to arbitration, I would assume the Red Wings want to keep that to a one-year if it's an option. Yeah, there's, um, I don't know. I'm still pretty confident a deal gets done. I don't know who wants short term at this point. I don't know whether it's Eisenman or I don't know whether it's Mantha and Bertuzzi. It's really so hard to project with both the flat cap, though not really pertaining to Detroit, and um, you know the pandemic limiting actual real dollar funds. So, if I'm Bertuzzi, uh, I'm going. I'm pushing for as long a term as I can get because of the type of player he is. If I'm Mantha, I would happily accept a one year deal because he knows if he plays 82 games, his stats are going to look way better and. Hopefully there's more money to play with next summer and and he can cash out then. But hey, you never know. It's a weird, weird time to be a free agent. And then finally, uh, divisional based conferences or sorry, regionally based conferences for the next season, I think would be completely batshit and fun as hell. Oh, yeah. Uh, Let's get weird. It's weird times. If we're going to try and make something as normal as possible, I think we're missing opportunities here because... Um, the biggest crux of this is, um, Canadian prime minister, Justin Trudeau, uh, I think went on record saying today, he's like, I'm not reopening the border until the U S gets their shit under control to summarize. 
<clears throat> so if the border's not open. And then Brad coughs. And then I cough. <laughs> oh, we're closing the Breslau border. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I was quarantined all last week. I'm ready to do it again. But um, yeah, so you can't have a league outside of a bubble with a special exemption if the border's not open. So the Canadian teams forming one division makes a lot of sense. Um, even if travel is going to be an absolute goddamn nightmare for those teams. And then I, I love this because what the regional borders broke down to in the U.S. would basically put Detroit back in the central. Uh, I think they were with Columbus, Chicago, Nashville, St. Louis. Oh, give me one more season of it. I don't ever want the Red Wings to go back to the Western Conference because I do not want to watch games at 1030 at night. I do not want them having that travel disadvantage in the playoffs. I like them in the Eastern Conference, but this is a silly time and it would only be the central time zone for for one year. Let's relive some memories. I'd be fine with so much rehabilitation of the Detroit-Chicago rivalry because that's one that really still hasn't died. Uh, Detroit-Colorado, obviously, we've seen it flare up over the past couple seasons, but Detroit-Chicago was truly one where even after they moved out east, like those games were intense for a long time. So, yeah, 100% would be for it. And both teams are terrible. Yeah, I don't want to say in the same, moving in the same direction, but they're in similar positions, right? One's... Uh, Chicago's not a, a a complete basement like bullshit um terrible garbage their starting team. goalie is Malcolm Subban yes they will be but they have Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves so they can't who are they can both only be on so the wrong bad. side of 30 I'm sorry I'll take Patrick Kane right now I think yeah, they're on the right side of 30 they're th- aren't they like 31 and 32 years old no, right. Maybe side you're just you're bitter because you're old I'm now. Very bitter. I, I, the right <laughs> side of thirty was when I was in my twenties and had more energy. Uh, well, for those who don't know, for new listeners, Brad is literally a thousand years old. Yeah, Brad I've, fought uh, in the Revolutionary War for the British. Funny enough, you, you do lose your accent over time. It's remarkable. And now I understand all these Swedes in the NHL. Um. But yeah, I, I mean, Chicago's not good. Th- that might be one of the few teams where you could argue, De- argue Detroit actually has more depth. Um, and and they'll need to a better win goalie. somewhere. What's they'll that? need to win somewhere because they're not playing Montreal four times this year. Yeah, exactly. So what what was the division exactly? It would have been Detroit, Chicago, Nashville, Columbus, St. Louis. Yeah, I'm looking Dallas, at the map right now. And, oh, and, no, it was, and it was the Florida teams. Tampa. And yeah. The Panthers, I'm, I'm so we can't get away from that. I'm thinking Dallas would get chucked in with Colorado with the Pacific teams. Yeah, that's there's Minnesota, St. Louis, Nashville, Columbus, Detroit, Chicago, and then the Florida teams, and then the rest of the Eastern Seaboard within the United States goes to that division, and then all of Canada is so, like my rough estimate. Do do the teams that have to go to Florida get like some kind of uh, extra revenue sharing for the Rona? They're definitely going to get. Yeah, but they get sweet parties, right? Florida's completely open to parties, so they'll be happy about that. <laughs> we laugh because it hurts. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll have more to come on that. It, it was kind of a, a statement that's thrown out there that we've all kind of gleaned a lot of information from, but that's okay. Okay, without further ado, we're going to move on to Overtime, uh, which on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, it's technically a midweek episode, will be uh, Patreon-exclusive. Um, our patrons are the reasons we're able to do this show, even on uh, random uh, mega episodes and then 
obviously uh, more, no, I don't want to say um, nothing happened, but this is a big toned down episode. It's kind of nice. We don't feel so ugh about it. Evan has color back in his face. I'm not strapping in for a five hour episode. No. Uh, we're going to start with Matthew M. Rice, who says, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Svetch for the 2020-21 season. What do the three of you view as his role this coming season? Is he a regular? What's his floor? What's his ceiling? In the long, long run, do you see him making the case to be a long-term piece for the Wings? Very important year ahead for him. Well, given that Svechnikov is uh, no longer waiver eligible this year, I would hope he's a regular, because if not, we're we're sending him down and we're losing him for nothing. So... Um, although that doesn't factor in expanded, uh, potential expanded rosters. So I don't know, cause it's not a skill question with Svechnikov. We know he has it. It's an injury question, but it's, he, his knee exploded for, and he lost the full season. So it's a very legitimate question whether or not he can be the player that he was supposed to be. Um, if he has a decent year, I'm not saying he'll ever be a top six player on the Red Wings, but I think he could be a, a long-term option on the third or fourth line because he does have skill, but he is uh, capable of playing that cycle game that actually was one of his, the strengths of his game. So he can play that down and dirty role if you want him to. Um, the counter to that is players like that are generally pretty easily replaceable. But hey, if he's young, cheap, I mean, yeah, keep him around. And he's he's got offensive touch, so... Uh, you keep him and hope for the best at this point. And again, I would much rather have Svechnikov in the lineup on a nightly basis than an Adam Ernie or one of the other vets that we know are bad. Yeah, I think that last part's especially true. I'm not particularly high on Svechnikov. I'm not really sold on his potential as a player. I think we've maybe held out a, a touch too long, but I'll, I'll also admit and, and give that injuries have held him back. In terms of us being able to see what he can really do, I don't see him as a top six guy really, but I'm not saying that that's gone from his ceiling. Uh, I just think it less likely. So yeah, I I think it'd be silly to let this guy go without seeing what he could do. So I'm happy that he'll have the opportunity and I do think that's his opportunity. Um, In terms of what's his floor, I think his floor is that he's an AHLer and that's that's just the reality of it. But that doesn't mean that his ceiling isn't just as high as it was when he got drafted. So No better time than now to give him an unlimited shot at the roster. Yeah. It's not like we're competing to make the playoffs. So may as well. May as well. Uh, Cody Stark says true or false. The Red Wings second line in 2024 will be Raymond Valeno Berggren. False. Raymond will be on the first line. Yeah. I hope so. Um, I'm not completely sold that Valeno is a second liner, but looking at the prospect pipeline, he's our best bet for it right now. So, yeah, uh, Berggren would be 24 by then. So, yeah, he would be a regular. And, yeah, other than Raymond, un- unless the MLB line is still together at that point, which is very possible, then, yeah, it's not crazy. Um, okay, from Zach Tretnik, who I believe is a new patron. Yes, Zach, welcome to the uh, Dub family. It says, which Red Wings draft bust was the most overhyped in your opinion? You can include up to the 08 and 09 drafts. Ooh, okay. Up to, like, so can we go older than that or we can go all the way to that? All the way to those. Um, Thomas McCollum, he was never as good as he was hyped up to be and should yeah. have never been a first round pick. Not worth a first round pick. Uh, Yurko is a really good candidate for that in 2011. Second round pick, obviously, but 
Mm. Um, I'm just trying to look back here. Who was really, really hyped? Jakob Kindle. Yeah, but that's like 2005. Yeah, that was the Sidney Crosby year. What were we max we were allowed to go to? Oh, wait. Oh, One year back, you can go, you can go Brendan Smith. Um, Dylan Krill says, hey, guys, do you think if the AHL starts, Rasmussen will spend his full time there, or will, will he be a regular call-up? Also, do you think he still has a shot at being a center, or do you see him as a winger? Thanks. Um, I don't know. I'm split. I argue with myself about whether or not he's a center. I think his skating is way too poor to be a center, but his uh, defensive metrics are actually really good. Um, from his brief time in the NHL. So I, I think there's still a chance. My gut says no. Um, and the thing is, I put your body. I don't know if he's going to even come back to North America this year. He might be a guy they just leave in Europe. Because um, who knows what's going to happen with the AHL this year. The Red Wings now all of a sudden have an abundance of depth at forward. So they don't. Uh, based on, you know, if I just take a quick glance at my depth chart, he's not projected to be on the Red Wings right now. So, yeah, and Eisenman's already stated he kind of wants to keep the prospects away right now. So that leads me to believe he will not be on the Red Wings this year, but who can say for sure? Uh, La Plata Peak says, I lost my spot here. Uh, I heard Spiro on Locked On uh, yesterday, and he makes a strong argument in support of his source, which he claims was also his link to the initial Bobby Ryan to Detroit report. I think the term financial distress is being incorrectly assessed by Spiro because I don't think the Illich family is anywhere close to being broke. But due to the present situation, I do believe their willingness to take on bad contracts for picks could reasonably be affected. I believe the truth lies somewhere in the middle of Eisman wasn't allowed to do certain things and the Red Wings are strapped for cash. I also believe Spiro's source is Draper. That's just pure speculation on my part, but given how long Draper has been around and how frustrated he'd be by trade limitations involving picks, it would make sense that he would be the one feeding this to, to Spiro. I won't speculate on sources. I, I think it, it could be a million different people. Um, I, I will reiterate, I think, my point last episode, which is that I don't think it's unreasonable to say any team isn't in a position or, or sorry it's it's reasonable to say that any team could be in a position where at the very least they're taking a look at the real dollars they're paying out any given year the Illich family aren't in businesses that are completely failing and through the floor so it's not like the red wings are going to fold as a franchise or anything like that but it's perfectly fair to speculate that they might not want to take on they might not want to spend to the cap this year in terms of just bad contracts if they could or if they can avoid it so I've admittedly do, done some digging around with any of the sources that we have. I haven't been able to come up with the same thing, but I'm not going to say that completely refutes what's out there. It's just not like, yeah, it, it falls within the realm of logic. Has it really stopped Eisenman from doing things? It doesn't seem like it quite yet, unless like he's had great deals in place to do more. Um, until we get a bigger litmus test or a more potent lim- litmus test where we're like, yeah, this has hindered the Red Wings, only then will I be too concerned about it. That's why I'm not really too worked up about the whole thing. few things. Mess doesn't mean broke, and everybody's financials are a mess right now because it's a pandemic. Nobody knows what the hell's going on. They might not be cash poor, but maybe they're worried about projections. Maybe they're like, okay, well, if this holds up for another year, how how long could we really go? Um, two. The Red Wings have already done it. They, they took on Mark Stahl's contract and three plus million dollars of real money. 
So, I mean, they're doing it, and it probably just means that they're requesting Eiserman only do these deals if he's getting a truly good deal that, you know, give me an offer you can't refuse type situation. Um, we're going to move on to Peter Ploshansky says, what's up guys recently became a patron again. Hey, welcome back. Peter he says, I had to put it on hold for a while because of financial uncertainty of the restaurant industry and my wife losing her job. Uh, sorry to hear, man. I hope that's all uh, coming back. I know it's, the restaurants have been hit. Some, some of my favorite restaurants are closing. I'm really, really sad for the people first. And then, yeah. Um, I have to say it feels good to be back. I can't believe the draft and free agency is over. You guys started talking about the 2020 draft last November. My question is, what Red Wings conversation are you sick of having with people? For example, I'm sick and tired of the what if we took Quinn Hughes instead of Sedina conversations. As I understand, we are higher on Bouchard and Boakfast anyways. And yes, I know by mentioning this, we're circling back to the conversation. I just said I'm sick of having. Take it easy, guys. Ooh, uh, I've already mentioned question. it this episode, but I'm going to repeat it again. It's been a year and a half of, oh, the Red Wings are the team that's in a great position to do an offer sheet. No, the F, they're not. I, I'm i going to give the cheap answer and say whichever is the obvious question. And it always seems to have this like lagging indicator where it just happens for weeks on end. And we'll have talked about it for the past four episodes and people will like, you know, submit the question. And hey, look, I always, always, always genuinely, I'm not even being an asshole here. Like, I love talking to fans about hockey, especially patrons. Like, you guys are our community. But take Tory Krug, for example. We got the Tory Krug questions up until the 11th hour. And there's no way we hadn't covered Tory Krug by then. <laughs> and like, again, happy to repeat it. But if you have to say like one that I wish would... If I had to pick one that would go away, it would be like whatever the topic du jour is and just say, please, it's the obvious one, the low-hanging fruit. Let's just avoid it. Evan's answer is any question. Yeah. Evan's answer is any question that doesn't specifically target Evan as the person who's answering. He loves when he's the center of attention. No. Uh, Winged Wheel 69 says, just wanted you guys to know that you're doing a great job. Keep up the good work. I appreciate it. And nice. Uh, Garrett TV says, uh, namaste hockey amigos. How much do you think, uh, the odd slash TBD season schedule impacted free agency acquisitions? Like if guys like Valeno insider, uh, weren't loaned out and if there wasn't much other uncertainty around the play in North America, do you think we'd have loaded up as much as we did like the moves? Just wonder how much was circumstance driven dump and chase boys. Let's go Red Wings. I think it impacted it a lot. Because I think Eisenman has seized this as an opportunity to take a cheap developing year for these guys when otherwise he would have had to put them in the lineup when maybe he'd prefer to develop them longer. Yeah, absolutely. You're not getting Nemesnikov for $2 million. You're not getting Troy Stetcher for $1.7. You're not getting John Merrill for under a million in a normal year. You just, you're not. So Eisenman saw his opportunity and he capitalized. Uh, Tuck Frump says, so the episode is called Now We Wait. Just remember, great things may come to those who wait, but only the things left uh, by those who hustle. Abe, Abe Lincoln. Steve Wise, Stevie Wise hustling or patiently. And now while we wait, uh, we can watch Letter Kennedy. I miss some of the references being an American, but I love the show. I must ask you, Red Wings, as Letter Kenny characters. Oh, I don't know enough Letter Kenny. Oh, Bertuzzi is Riley, beyond a shadow of a doubt, which then by default would make uh mantha jonesy larkin is definitely wayne uh i'm trying to think who would be darian 
Squirrely Dan. Squirrely Dan would probably be De Kaiser, I'm thinking. Meryl? The Oh, the big lovable oaf is definitely Meryl. That is a good answer. The weird awkward one. Who's the weird awkward Red Wing? Uh maybe De Kaiser, honestly. He's kind of a dweeb. De Kaiser, I was thinking maybe Helm outside. It would have definitely been Ablocator before we bought him out. Uh, question two, the Jets released highly talented running back uh, Le'Veon Bell continues to whine and miss games. Is he the biggest waste of talent aside from former teammate Antonio Brown? And is there an NHL comparable? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> yeah, You reap what you sow is all I'll say about him. Um, although Radulov when he left. Sorry, Radulov when he left the NHL, I think. Kovalchuk. That's what I was thinking. It's absolutely Kovalchuk. Um, question three: What's up with the AHL? Uh, they're still trying to figure out that season whether it's actually happening. I, I don't, we, I don't know. We will not know what's going on with the AHL until we know what's going on with the NHL. I would guess. Uh, thanks for what you do. With a special thanks to Ryan for reading these comments week in and week out. Keep your stick on the ice and let's go Red Wings. RC Tendy, whose comment I missed last week, I apologize. So since you skipped my question last week, I just need you to say. Now, now from the top, make it drop. That's some wop. I'm not, I'm only saying wop. Now get a bucket and a mop. That's some wop. That's as much as I'll do. I'm sorry. Uh, Mel's in the other room laughing at me. Uh, okay, so what are the chances <laughs> if Bergeron stays healthy and keeps an above 1.0 uh, points per game that we could see him come over for a few games at the end of the season? And what would be considered successful seasons for Valeno and Sider in the SHL? Um. Well, if my standards for Bergeron would be about 0.5 to 0.75 points per game, I'll say the same thing for Valeno since they were drafted three picks apart. Um, Cider, it's trickier because it's a less offensive game there. So I want to say I would like to see him put up roughly the same points per game that he did in the AHL last year. But I don't think that's reasonable because the AHL is a higher scoring league. Um, So... I don't know. It just I, I want to just see his defensive play continue to be solid because the one thing that's going to be harder for him with the bigger ice is his gap control is going to get really tested, and that's one of the strengths of his game. So if he can hone in on his positioning and gap control and that kind of stuff on the bigger ice surface, it's just going to translate even better in the NHL. So I'm, I'm going to look for small things like that. Cider's statistics are going to be way too hard to translate this year. Rob Byram says, what's up, guys? As I sit here on October 15th, I got to wondering when we'll actually see the wings hit the ice again. The latest thing I saw that left me scratching my head was a Canadian-only division. This would leave the Atlantic with just five teams, right? Uh, and how did the, how would they further align the divisions? We did cover that. Uh, Hawkon Anderson Stan Club says, I keep looking and I can't really find an exact answer, so I'll ask you wonderful folks. Are players in the CHL able to jump ship to Europe at this point if the CHL starts to look iffy or if the whole no hitting, uh, no hitting comes to fruition, which could mess up their development? Also, my son turns one in four days, and I'm really freaking out. My lady was trying to find Red Wing stuff for him and even looked on your website for some merch. However, she and I were both shown no uh, podcast merch, but more a bunch of plain shirts, watches, and sunglasses labeled I'm a product. Is this the 2020 fall line? No, there's uh, there's um, onesies, and there should be youth t-shirts, but if you can't find the message, I mean, I'll, I'll get you set up with one. Um, also, if anyone's really good with like web stores and, and things like that, shoot us a message. Maybe we could use your help. Uh, um, CHL to Europe. 
Yeah. So it if they plan on coming back this year, that would lead to some complications. But if they said, you know what, I'm done here. I'm just going to go play in Europe. Yeah, there's nothing holding them back. They can go at any point. They, they're. It's not like the KHL NHL thing where you're locked in your contract, et cetera, et cetera. There's already. Um, players over in Europe who are projected in the CHL. I know, speaking specifically with the OHL, one of the big 2021 draft prospects, uh, Mason McTavish, who plays for Peterborough, I think is already training in Switzerland. So, I mean, we're going to, if there's no hitting in the OHL, we're going to see a mass exodus and that will hinder the league for several years. Uh, Ian says, one, a friend told me someone moving to Detroit a friend told someone moving to Detroit that Windsor is a cool hit place you can go to. Confirm or deny? Uh, well, it depends on what parts of Detroit you're comparing it to. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Windsor. There's some all right parts. I mean, I, I know a lot of people from Detroit like it because you can come over and drink and gamble earlier. Um, but I don't know about cool and hip. It's it's not bad. Like downtown Windsor's got some spots and. I think Walkerville area is cool. You really sold us, Ryan. Yeah, the conviction uh, look, in man. your voice is just too much to I don't deny. live there for a reason. <laughs> uh, number two, why are right-handed shots such a premium in hockey? Are people taught to left to play left-handed for more opportunity like uh, Ichiro? Um, it's hardly hard science, but uh, for the most part, your dominant hand seems to go on the top of the stick. And so a lot of most people are right-handed, right-hand dominant, and they shoot left. It's not perfect. It's not a hard rule, but it generally follows that pattern. The It's like a 60-40 split. It's not dramatic because I'm right-hand dominant, but I shoot right. So it's it's all personal preference, but it does tend to follow that route, the dominant hand on top more often than not, and since majority of the world's right-handed. Hence, the right-hand shot shortage. B-Man says, with all the optimism and excitement you guys generated during the last episode, it's hard not to think just how could how good we could be in two to three years if things continue to go as we hope. Looking ahead at the 2022 class, it's absolutely stacked in terms of free agents. Seth Jones, Philip Forsberg are two names that stand out. Do you guys feel like uh, we'll be making a splash and bringing in a player that lines up with our timeline? If you're Stevie uh, and you had to choose just one, who would you sign? Projecting what our uh, lineup would look like that year uh, would look like who fits the bigger need and how good we are just after that signing. Take dollar term and pass injuries out of the decision. Looking at the player strictly in what he brings every night to the lineup. Oh, who in terms 2022, of who's that is that is way too far out to project. Uh, literally, the Red Wings have. One player signed for that season currently, and that's Dylan Larkin. So we have no idea what the team's going to look like. So as of right now, uh, should we sign players for that season? Uh, yeah, we kind of have to sign 22 of them. <laughs> um, I'm going to divert away for a second here and talk a little bit more about giveaways. This next comment is from Everett Johnson. So first, Everett, happy birthday. Um, Everett's a big part of the Windwheel podcast family. Uh, he's a big uh, uh, part of the Red Wings community. He does a lot of giveaways, does a lot of engagement. It's one of our uh, biggest fans and a friend of ours as well. So, um, a big happy birthday to Everett. And also, for this is the only person I know as selfless. Like he's the most selfless person I know. For his birthday, he's giving away a Red Wings jersey. So currently, we have a giveaway running for our um, box of um, upper deck 
hockey cards. We have a jersey giving uh, jersey giveaway that we'll announce the winner of soon for our a draft review episode. And now there's another one from Everett um, just give, being given away to a fan. So stay tuned on Twitter. Um, we're going to be um, engaging with patrons and, and Twitter followers for this one. Um, patrons, of course, always get uh, bonus entries and, and everything like that. But uh, two jerseys being given away now. So Everett, thank you so much for your generosity and the Red Wings. Uh, and for sponsoring the Wing Wheel podcast, our most consistent sponsor has been Everett. So if ever if you ever made a, uh, a line of beers, we'd uh, we'd tout you over anyone else. Also, Everett, you should definitely make beer. Um, Everett says, "Hey friends, first of all, congratulations on continually climbing the hockey podcast ranks. I'm proud of you, gentlemen. However, you should probably try to, your best not to make it into the top three, since the Red Wings never tend to select from those spots, anyways." Without divulging too much info uh, and without getting too sappy, I just want to say that I discovered this podcast during a time in my life when I really needed something. The Winged Wheel podcast became more than just that, uh, something as I found myself become a part of an amazing community through which I have made invaluable connections and friendships. Never stop doing what you do, and I cannot wait to witness the three of you continue to succeed and grow further. You're all going to do great things. Love, Everett. Wow, that's the best comment we've ever received, ever. Um I thought we were ending the podcast at the end of this year. <laughs> uh, Everett, so much love for you, buddy. Thank you. You almost made Brad cry, and Brad hasn't cried since Danny DeKaiser broke his finger and the Red Wings blew that 3-1 lead against Chicago in 2013. Come on. You know the last time I cried. The game we shall not speak of. <laughs> Just kidding. I've never cried um always here for you pal and you're a big part of the community so uh we appreciate you just as much uh jadson says hello winged wheel podcast new patron welcome jadson to the dub dub family so he's been watching for some quite some time now on youtube and decided to sub as a hype uh with what eiserman and detroit are doing is taking over um and don't ever think it's not a lot every dollar of support really really helps us out so thank you let's say the season starts in january guess who would be the prospects that make the team Oh, it wouldn't be a lot. Like right now? Um, yeah. If it started in January? Honestly? You're- Svechnikov. That's that's it. And if I, I don't, to be fair, I don't consider Zadina a prospect anymore. He's a Red Wing. He spent most of the last season with Detroit. But Svechnikov I, outside shot Giovanni Smith. Man, I don't even think that's a good outside shot either. That's the scary thing. I mean, they 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 brought in the depth that they did via free agency to literally keep the prospects away from what is likely to be another rough season. Um, maybe Rasmussen because he's playing in Austria, not the highest end league in the world uh the defense is one injury away from seeing lindstrom or chaloski that's it i think it's going to take a lot of injuries to see the kids coming in well is, isn't heronic on alone so can he even come back yeah he can yeah can you so imagine the red wings show heronic? without <laughs> him yeah the goalies would quit there'd be nothing <laughs> Um, Wingnut says, if you haven't already talked about it, thoughts on the NHL mixing up the divisions to have a Canadian. If you have already talked about it, duty. So I guess duty it is. Uh, next comment from Swedish Fart Porn says, so we all know how great Eisman is, but I didn't realize how good his rookie season was with 87 points, 39 goals, 48 assists. 
We know he has a 155-point season, but just insane that he did that in his rookie year. I've been taking a deep dive into analytics. Bernie had the seventh-best season according to goals saved above uh, expected per 60. Not that changes the defense in front of him or anything, um, but I imagine this would, this defense or with a good defense this season, he could have been first in the Vesna voting. I've never believed in a person in his way of putting the team together before Eisenman. I'm used to saying we gave which schmuck how much for how many years. Don't hate the players, hate Kenny Holland, but this time I'm loving every decision Eisenman makes. When you pick up a guy who pukes during practice for trying hard for like 800K, this has been a great offseason. Also, seeing people melt down because Henrik Lundqvist joined the cap is better than Swedish far porn. Thanks, Ryan, for dealing with my mess of a comment this episode. Uh, Liz B says, if uh, if one of your biggest sources of income is pizza chains and your financials are a mess right now, you're doing something wrong. I work at a rival chain and we've pretty much been busy every day since the middle of March. We usually slow down in the summer, not this year. And Little Caesars does delivery now. Sure, it's via DoorDash, but it's still going to increase sales at most stores. I can see Eisman being told he can only spend so much. But to say the financials are a mess, I don't buy it. I think, Liz, that's probably the best read of it. Craig Gathright with a very important comment. Craig is a brand new patron, so welcome, Craig, to the Dub Dub family. He says, howdy, Winged Wheel Podcast. I hope you have a great week. Thanks, Craig. You too. Mark Burnham says, okay, 2020 draft is done. It's 2021 draft time. Brad, quickly, who's your top five? And more importantly, who is your choice for the wings at sixth? Uh, <laughs> oh, man, I have not done a deep dive so i won't give a ranking uh of my top five but right now i'm a big fan of atu ratu kent johnson owen power brant clark carson lambos um which means my pick at six would be simon edvinson right now oh i'd be thrilled with simon edvinson for oh so would i Josh Trell says, any suggestions on how to watch SHL overseas games? I'm having hockey withdrawals already. They do, um, they have like paid streaming, but it's quite a bit. It's like 40 euros or something per month. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a no for me, dog. Uh, I'll keep you posted on that. Stevie's Yoga Matt says, sup guys, just curious if a second line of Fabry, Nemesnikov, and Zadina would be plausible. I can see a big defensive deficiency, but Brad said Nemesnikov is pretty reliable defensively. Just curious if you guys think that would work or having, God forbid, one of our defensive forwards like Helmer Glendening replace one of them. I know we're a long ways out, but this is the most hype that I've been for a season in a long time. Thanks. Um, do I think that will work relative to the NHL average? No, absolutely not. Uh, is it a big upgrade from last year? Yes. Yes, I think it is. Um, and quite frankly, given the roster the Red Wings are going to likely deploy, I don't see how we would make it any better than that. Okay. Um, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, a Fournier company says, hey there, fellas. <laughs> Pretty big disagreement with Justin Spiro. Um, thinks he's throwing darts for clickbait regarding the finances thing. But all of us can and should agree that Dean Blundell can oh yeah. Dean Blundell can go fist himself. Keep your archaic sex archaic sexist beliefs stored away in some other company's cheese bags, not in stay fresh cheese bags. So stupid, man. He he's not- been fired from more companies than uh oh geez. Than what's a good joke to fall I give up on the joke. Moving on. Then Evan has fallen off skateboards. Uh, thanks for being a pleasant and consistent <laughs> distraction. Quite low lately. I'm I'm becoming proficient. 
Uh, thanks for being a pleasant and consistent distraction from this four-year-long episode of Black Mirror called The USA Who Needs Rights Anyways. Also, now that we've seen Mantha do the Dreams Cranberry Juice Roll, who is next and why is it Evan? It's Evan if he can stay on his damn skateboard. What was the thing? you seen that uh, video of that guy with the uh, tattoo on his head skateboarding and singing uh, Fleetwood Mac with the cranberry juice? It's a thing. Someone was someone I was just with was talking about that. I'll send it to you. It's pretty much this guy is like literally just skateboarding on like a highway off ramp, and he ha- he's drinking an uncapped bottle of Ocean Spray, and he's singing Fleetwood Mac, and he just like well, like lip singing it. And pretty much he's famous now because those are just good vibes, and like Ocean Spray is selling out everywhere. Some I think Fleetwood Mac actually remade that video. Everybody yeah, they did the has drummer remade that video. Yeah, right. So I've you been, have to remake. I've had it. this conversation before with someone. It's kind of a nut. It's kind of nuts that you've had one of the only conversations we've had with you on this podcast with someone else before. Like that's kind of bullshit, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is weird. Yeah, you definitely have to remake that video. Um, Darren Helm contract extension when says good day dud duds I've been listening for a while and decided to become a patron against the advice of the people in the Twitter machine I love how Rowan doesn't even mask it anymore <laughs> uh, you guys make some really good background noise to join out, drown out the monotony of life for a while so thank you for the mindless dribble I guess you're welcome in your show's intro the voiceover lady says and here to talk all things hockey but like you clearly don't talk about all things hockey do you have we even heard about the uh nwhl movements no you <laughs> we're not misogynists focus on the Did nhl I not talk about that last episode i could have sworn i brought it up as the news broke maybe we probably should de- dedicate a bigger piece of that future i thought there's still well, more developing yeah well it's a mess and it's complicated and honestly i have uh, a a good friend who's part of the pwpha and she doesn't even know what the hell this is gonna do going forward it's all pretty much up in the air right now um have you spoken about the q shutdown on francais no uh, do you talk as much about other teams as much as Brad's beloved stars or former defenseman guys, Red Wings? No. And why does golf guy waste airtime talking about a dumb game when he should be talking about all things hockey? We demand answers to your blatant misrepresentations. Terry was right. It's no wonder you can't crack the top three hockey podcasts. Jersey time. Of the Wings players on loan to the SHL, which of those teams has the nicest jersey? I know the answer is actually none of them, but try your best. Yeah, all the ads are a lot for me. Uh, uh, green and white is an elite color scheme, so I'm gonna go cider and rogla. Very hard to tell what the jerseys look like when they're covered by uh, car companies' advertisements. Yeah, all those ads. Um, for Lunda's jerseys, I mean, I guess are are nice. Um, I really like. Is it rogla or rogel? I went with rogla. They put the L before the E, so until I'm corrected, I'm just gonna keep going with it. Um, I don't know. Maybe if it's Stutzla, it's Rogla. I I know different countries. I don't care. That's my logic. (laughs) I'm not sure that works. Like, I'm not sure that works with the English language, but a lot of their rules don't work. Sorry, I'm trying to buy time until I can find. Well, that's uh, neither. That's not the English language, Ryan. We're talking about other languages. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. I'll go. I'll honestly go for London just for lack of knowing other teams. Uh, blocked by Marco Rossi, and this is real. 
This guy's actually blocked by Marco Rossi, which is hysterical. It says, hey, lads, while the Swedish revolution is firmly underway again, and I, for one, cannot wait. Question, given Bergeron's hot start in the SHL, where can you possibly see him slotting into the Wings lineup for 2021-2022 if he makes it? Also, which remaining bad contracts can you see Eisman possibly targeting once the RFAs are resolved? Cheers, as always, from down under. Well, is Jeff Blashill still the coach? Because that'll definitely be the fourth line. Um no, probably probably third line wing. I think would be his introductory third line spot. Wing. Second Get the power play. Thomas Vanek treatment where he'll be heavily protected from playing the other team's top two lines. Um, and what was the other part here? Other, I'm, I'll still talk about Johnson. I'll still talk about Flurry until those deal those move those contracts are dealed. Those are prime candidates for Detroit to bring on bad contracts. Well, too bad Kelly McCrimmon said they're keeping Flurry. Yeah, lots of people say lots of things. <laughs> Zen Eisman says, good evening, gents. I'm getting my first tattoo within the next few weeks, and it's none other than a stencil of the Red Wings logo in black on my arm. I'll be sure to share when it's complete. Question, do you guys have any tattoos? And if not, will you ever get one? Uh, nope. I do not have any, but I am planning on getting one next year. I don't have any. I want a quarter or maybe half sleeve starting at my shoulder, and I want an octopus to be the centerpiece. I have wanted to do a half sleeve for a really, really long time, but two problems. Uh, One, I don't know what I would put on it to fill it out, and two, I don't have the balls to actually do it. If I pay you, will you put my face in there somewhere? Um, Brad was just going to get a tramp stamp that said, Dad. <laughs> that's that is not something that i needed yeah you're gonna get daddy, daddy. yeah and every time he passes out we had the dy at the end <laughs> he's uh, dying oh no. chris b says just for fun design a hypothetical trade that can make sense centered around line a for mantha line a for i mean mantha? line a for mantha is almost the trade at this point <laughs> I think Detroit would have to add. Yeah, but I don't think it would be as much as you would think. No. Line A, McIsaac for Mantha. Or sorry, uh, Mantha and McIsaac for Line A. No, it's uh, the Jets suck on the right side, so to Amisto and Mantha. Red Wings add a conditional second, and it stays a second if Mantha scores 40-plus goals. That's fine by me. Uh, Stevie Langerman says boys I may be late getting this in uh, but just wanted to say thanks for all the awesome content and the zoom hangout last week Evan I shot my personal low while on the call a 92 you boys brought me luck this nice. guy shot his best round ever while he was on a zoom call with us that's amazing <laughs> we are uh, the key so stoked about all the eyes and moves on free agency and I'm just so happy to be a Wings fan for the first time in years. Also just want to shout out that I think it's so dope you guys peaked at number four on the hockey podcast charts. Incredible and huge congrats. Very well deserved and I think there's something kind of cool about you being number four uh, after the same year that um, the Red Wings picked fourth. Damn, can't wait to see Raymond rep in the winged wheel. Looking forward to the pod and thanks again, gents. Let's go Red Wings. Eisman is our savior again. Uh, Stevie, congratulations Great name and uh, appreciate the kind words. All right, guys, with that, we're going to wrap this episode. Believe it or not, if you're hearing, if you're hearing a bunch of jump cuts this episode, it's because there were about 17 disconnects. I cannot wait till we're back in the studio. Uh, we got a lot of editing to do, so I'm going to wrap this up. We'd like to thank all of our listeners. 
Um, all of you who've been giving us reviews on iTunes, that goes such a long way. So if you like the show and you're, you're up for rating us, uh, five stars, that would mean a lot to us. Um, all of our new listeners, welcome our listeners of old. Thank you for sticking with us. Uh, uh, Patrons, name level sponsors, you guys mean the world to us. Arjun Shanker, Terry, R.A., Brendan Lee, Zach Spring, Citizen High Five, Cody Stark, Greach, Jeremiah Dobo, Jake Kiefer, Swedish Fart Porn, Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Craig Kibble, Brandon M., Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Kalen Wood, Hassam Al Qasem, Charlie Elkins, Hana Lee. Another former junior goalie turned golfer, Trevor Pevavar, Evans Bingo Card, Michael Alsante, uh, Ashley Van Conet, Connor Leighton. And I think Michael uh, is a brand new name level sponsor. So thank you, Michael, and welcome. Uh, Connor Leighton, the king of, I'm just trying to load this, Wap and Roll, Elvis Wapsley. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Keeler, Simon Anderson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags of Fournier Company, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Quaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you guys so much. Happy birthday, Everett. Uh, make sure to retweet and follow the podcast on Twitter uh, to enter into the competition to get the jersey or the contest to get the jersey. And we will talk to you guys on Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts you'll also find links to other ways to support the show such as patreon official podcast apparel and more and don't forget to follow the show on twitter at winged wheel pod and of course the hosts at brad crisco at ryan hannah wwp and at hockey town evan